Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com fm to get started first time ever you listen to them now hang out with us this is after 83 weeks with christy olson that's me i'm maria menounos and you're tuned in to after buzz tv the espn of tv talk now let the buzz begin hey there 83 weeks fans welcome to your show the post show for our favorite wrestling podcast Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I see all of you already got your questions rolling for Eric on YouTube Live. And I want to introduce my co-host. You guys know him as the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment. Hello, George Hermosa. Well, today I'm the autobiography of Eric Bischoff of, of AfterBuzz TV. Wow, I didn't know you were from Detroit. I love that. Well, we're, we're getting to him. We also have the producer of the 83 Weeks channel, Steve Kaufman, with us. Hello, mine is, mine's way back here. You might be able to see it. Uh, not signed. I'll just point that out. <laughs> a couple of bookworms. I think I might know a guy who can help you out with that. The host of 83 Weeks, producer, former executive director of SmackDown Live, author, entrepreneur, and uh, our favorite guy to talk to every single week. Everybody say hello to Eric Bischoff. Good evening, everybody. I hope you're all well in various parts of the United States. We're covering some ground here. Where is everybody? I can't keep track of you guys. <laughs> I know we're gonna we're gonna pop up all around you. I think this is kind of fun. It's almost like we're back in our usual studio. I like Zoom. This is my first Zoom experience. I'm a Zoom virgin. We're popping my Zoom cherry right here on after 83 weeks. So I think I'm digging it. Well, congratulations on being one of the very few people in the world who hasn't been forced to do a huge Zoom call with family during this time. Well, I guess I should I, I should I should feel fortunate, but thank you. Well, I do want to take kind of a quick second and check in with everybody since we haven't seen each other. How is everyone handling this? How are we holding up? I feel like I'm starting to lose it just a tad. George? Uh, I mean, I'm still doing fine. I, I, I am going back to work a little bit here and there, but so that's keeping me sane a little bit. Uh, also making sure that I'm all protected, uh, gloves, hats, mask, and everything. So I, I'm, I'm good for now. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Steve, how are you filling your time over there? Um. I'm very fortunate that the actual day-to-day work I do in my home never actually changed. Just the ability to leave and do anything else has. So um, all the work that normally takes me all week to do, I finished it by this morning. <laughs> so now I'm taking on new projects. It's going to be a long week over there at Casa Kaufman. And uh, Eric, how are you doing? You're still enjoying your daughter Montana there with you, right? Yeah, Montana's here. So it's just uh, Mrs. B, Montana, and myself, and of course, uh, Nikki. And, um, you know, we're doing so good. I kind of feel guilty in a way because generally life hasn't changed a bit. I'm not doing anything any differently really today than I was a year ago in the same location. So our, our lives, fortunately, um, haven't changed a bit, but that's by virtue. I mean, we, we live in a state that only has six people per square mile. So, you know, self-isolation or self-distancing is kind of just a way of life out here. <laughs> well, it is, but we, of course, are giving a nod to everybody out there who is struggling right now. And I, for one, feel very lucky to have this platform to be able to come on and chat with you guys and give you some fun and some positivity tonight with Eric. And Eric, we actually have some breaking news that I wanted to run past you a little bit. Um, when you and Conrad were covering WrestleMania this last week, you sort of declined to comment too much on whether WWE should have done it or not because we didn't know a whole lot about their protocols and what was going on behind the scenes safety-wise. Uh, well, DMZ cracked the code. Do share. Well, Do share. Uh, they, have, they have an email that went out to talent today, and you guys may have heard that WWE plans on kicking back up again with SmackDown Live from the PC again this Friday, and then Raw as well. And according to TMZ, they were t- telling talent that a medical screening team would uh, screen everyone before they even walk in the door. They're going to get their temperature taken before they even get to step foot inside the PC. So that's great. Uh, however, once inside, they do want everyone to wear a mask. 
but they aren't providing them for their talent. I thought that was kind of interesting in this email. Part of it, they said, we want you to wear a mask. Uh, if you don't have one, they even suggest how to make one out of sleeves from your t-shirt. I'm guessing a lot of guys have those laying around here and there. Uh, but this basically details, you know, all the safety things that they're following to make sure that they keep everybody healthy uh, as they're going to kick back up recording again. What do you think about that, Eric? Um, I understand why they're doing it. Look, there's no simple answer. There's no playbook for this situation. It's never happened before. So every day is a new day. Every development is a brand new development. We're, we're, we're talking about a virus that nobody really understands, which is, or hasn't really understood up until this point. And certainly research and technology is going to take us a long way, but every day is a new set of information. You know, I spent some time this afternoon watching the news, getting updated and, you know, what we know today is different than what we knew yesterday. What we think is going to happen today is far different than what we thought was going to happen three days ago. So it, it, it's day to day. But, you know, the one thing I do know about WWE, and I know it sounds like I'm carrying water for them, and in, in some ways I am, because I, I have a sense of how they operate and their corporate culture. I, I just can't imagine that WWE is not doing absolutely everything in their power to make that work environment just as safe as it can be. It's in their financial best interest. It's in their long-term best interest for their stockholders as well as everybody else in WWE. And it's especially important for the talent. Um, I'm also guessing, just a guess, not talking to anybody, um, if there are talent that probably don't feel comfortable participating in that environment for whatever reason, they likely won't have to. And I doubt that they would be punished as a result. So. I'm, I'm fine with them going forward because I have a sense of they're doing everything within their power to make it as safe as it can be. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, let, let, let's face it. Walk around the grocery. I was just in a grocery store 45 minutes ago, which would have been probably far more dangerous if it was in Florida. Now, truth be told, there was one case or there was one case of coronavirus in the county in which I live. And by the way, the county that I live in is about half the size of Rhode Island. So, there was one case here that they found three weeks ago, um, and that person has recovered. The environment that I'm in right now is not a high-risk environment, but if it was, if I was in Chicago or Detroit or Memphis or Nashville or wherever you guys are and went into a supermarket, that environment would probably be multiple times more dangerous than what the performance center is going to be. So it, it's so relative, and that's why I say there's no easy answer, and I don't think there's a right or a wrong, particularly if the talent is giving an option. Right. Well, and it is an unprecedented time, of course, and it has brought some cool new fun things, as we all saw on WrestleMania 36. Uh, a bunch of us actually watched together, so it was fun to get everybody's reactions and stuff on that. Um, but one thing that we do know is now there's this possibility of something like the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse match that can be shot outside the ring and outside of the PC. So I just want to tease everybody in the chat, get your ideas going, maybe a little pitch for Eric on a Boneyard type match. We're going to play a fun game later. So before we get to that, we of course want to pick your brain a little bit, Eric. And uh, there's something that I'm just dying to know, so I'm going to kick it off tonight. We all saw you on WrestleMania 36 uh, in that little clip, flashback clip from WCW. Do you get paid for that? <laughs> Not a dime. No. <laughs> Not a dime. No, but in that, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, when, when WWE acquired WCW and all of their intellectual property, which included the footage that they used to uh, to produce that piece, uh, they own that footage. So I have no rights to it and there's no royalties involved. And um, the only thing I got out of it was a kick. <laughs> and, a, and a big one at that, I'm sure. Yeah. Guys, I know you have some questions about this. I got one. I mean, speaking of which, the Firefly Funhouse was my absolute favorite thing of the whole weekend. I, I loved it in every single way. I think it's so poetic. I know you mentioned about you praise Bray Wyatt in, in this week's episode of 83 Weeks, but when you were there, did you ever get a chance to kind of see him, see his mind work at all, kind of see, maybe toss out ideas with him at all when you were there with him, just kind of see his, his genius at work in any ways? No, I didn't. And not because I didn't want to, but the Firefly Funhouse when I was there was, I mean, it had started. It was, it, it, it had launched before I arrived in, in WWE last summer. Uh, I showed up around July 20th. So we were seeing 
I think beginnings of the uh, of, of the fiend character prior to that, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, and then after I got there, it became clear to me that there was one writer in particular who I'm not going to name, um, out of respect to everybody in WWE, um, especially the writing the, the writing team. Um, but there was one writer in particular that just clicked with Bray and they were the ones behind that character. Um, they collaborated and I, I heard about it secondhand and, and firsthand from, from this particular writer who was involved in it. So that was kind of a hands-off thing. I mean, it's like, if it's working, don't try to fix it. Right. Uh, I didn't go anywhere near it. And, and the creative for that was done offsite. It wasn't a part of the regular creative process that I was involved with at least. So it was uh, it was its own living thing by the time I got there, and I just certainly didn't want to uh, be another cook in a kitchen that didn't that wasn't needed, so to speak. Just to kind of quick follow up, real quick regarding Bray Wyatt, when the time comes where he retires, what role would you see Bray Wyatt have? Do you see him maybe as as a part of creative in some ways uh, later on down the road? Well, based on the creative that we're seeing out of this character, and by the way, even some of you know the the, the previous incarnations of his character uh, as Bray Wyatt, um, clearly he's a very, very, very t- he's he's in a world all of his own, much like Paul Heyman is as, as a stick stick man or, or promo guy. I think Bray is when it comes to character vision and development so I, who knows what his i mean after seeing what i saw this past weekend and i i want to talk a lot more about firefly funhouse and steve i think you and i may have a conversation offline tonight or tomorrow uh and i may even do it on this channel live by myself and take some questions from the audience while i'm doing it but i i i've been thinking about that segment now for three days a lot not not all day every day but for the better part of the day i've been thinking about that segment in my free time and analyzing why it worked because it worked so well so well and i do believe it could become the catalyst for a new evolution of storytelling um but there's a reason why it works so well and I'm not sure a lot of people even understand why they liked it so much, those that did. Now, there were some people that didn't like it because it was so abstract from what they were used to. I remember the analogy I gave you about, or you probably heard it in 83 weeks about having to put your right sock or your left sock on first after they passed that law. And when you're used to putting on your right sock, any kind of change is hard for a lot of people. And that was such an abrupt departure from what we normally see in, in professional wrestling or sports entertainment that a lot of people just backed away from it. I understand. It's human nature. I, for one, I love it more today than I did on Sunday because I've been thinking about it more and really beginning to see why it worked as well as it did. And I want to go into depth on that. But I think to answer your question, um, I think Bray's got a hell of a future in whatever he decides to do. I think Bray could act based on what we're seeing. The, The acting, the performance We'll call it performance because sometimes, you know, wrestlers don't like to be called actors. But the performance was so awesome. I mean, it was beyond anything that I've seen in a long time from Bray and from John Cena. I expected it out of John. John's an actor. He's he's like making bank. He's he's box office in Hollywood now. He's he's the real deal. Um, so I expected John to deliver an amazing performance or a great performance. I didn't expect, I, th- I thought I'd, we'd get a good performance out of Bray, but I thought Bray was off the charts good and John way over delivered in the little things. And again, I'll save it. We'll break it down into tiny little pieces, almost frame by frame, if you will, and get into the philosophy that I have as to why it worked and what we can take away from that or what could be taken away from that and applied not only to the cinematic kind of presentation that Firefly Funhouse was, but even in your normal environment, crowd-based live action performances, because there were some elements that we saw that have not existed in WWE programming. And I'm not talking about the production technique. I'm talking about the storytelling technique. I'm talking specifically about the performance itself. There, and, the, and the story, 
most of all the story. But we'll talk about that in detail. But I just, I can't say enough great things. You answer your question. I think Bray can do whatever Bray wants to do at this point. I think it's well, everybody in the live chat is convinced that uh, they're not talking about Bray. They're still talking about Bruce, Eric, and they are so sure that Bruce had this put into the match just as kind of a nod to you um, and, you know, kind of a wink, wink to his butt. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have some pretty solid insight and I hate to disappoint, but out of respect for the company and most importantly, my friendship, I'm just going to have to pass on that one. All right, we will read between the lines. Steve? Um, I also think that uh, this is, if they've ever had, if the WWE has ever had a shot at an Emmy, it's either the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse. Wow. And we're, we're right around that time frame where the, the For Your Considerations happen right, or, right before the beginning of the summer. So like Mayish, June, so they have a shot there. Uh, you spoke last week about how long-term storytelling in the WWE's current structure doesn't always isn't always allowed for do you think that now we're at a place to pretty well have to change wwe structure that they can retool themselves to be more like batch single camera segments um batch tapings similar to what nwa power does or lucha underground did look this situation that we're in the the the, uh, the uh, self-distancing and social distancing and all that and, and not having access to arenas and not being in, in front of crowds over 10. All, that's all going to – we're not going to be here forever, folks. This is going to be a temporary situation. And by temporary, it could last another month. It could last another six months. None of us know. But I'm, I'm pretty certain that it will happen. I'm very certain that it will happen. And I'm pretty certain that when it does, uh, WWE will be going back in front of some very raucous live crowds who haven't seen live wrestling in a long, long time. So I don't think long-term, you know, this is going to have any impact on how WWE does business unless, unless they really embrace what they did. I mean, it was their idea. It was their production. It was their performances. Um, if they embrace it and begin to take elements of that and utilize it the, the right way, we may see a different type of storytelling. I don't know if it'll be that long-term or not, because look, the things that are forcing kind of the short lifespan of any story in WWE is the number of pay-per-views they have. You know, I mean, it's introduce the story, help build the story, get the story hot, deliver it on a pay-per-view. You basically got four segments to sell a pay-per-view. In, in the current structure. Now there's a way around that. And, and perhaps they're doing it, and I'm not aware of it because I don't watch enough of their, I'm not immersed in their Monday or Friday night shows. So <clears throat> take this for what it's worth. There is a way to have your stories kind of uh, climax, if you will, at certain point. I and mean, again, it's a three act structure, it's a story arc. So if you've got your main event story for this month is in the middle of the third act and we're gonna see the final act um, on pay-per-view, but your C story is in the middle of the second act, and we're, we're going to still deliver some great action, but we're not going to finish it off until the following month, until we get into the third act of that story. So you can stagger your stories and how the arcs are positioned within a calendar, if you will, so your key stories are peaking at the right times. It's possible to do it. It's complex. It takes a lot of discipline and I'm not sure given the variables that are involved in this industry, meaning injuries and just travel issues and all kinds of things that just pop up out of nowhere that disrupt the process. But there is a way to do it, and it can be done. And I, I think, you know, it's one of the things I'm excited about this weekend, not necessarily the pay-per-view itself, which I love, by the way, because we saw something fresh and something that's never really been done before. And I know a lot of people want to say, oh, Matt Hardy did it before anybody else. Well, I got news for you. Sharon Sadella did it with White Castle of Fear. We did a whole lot of those in WCW. The difference between what we did and what has been done by other people is there wasn't the, dis there wasn't the story and there wasn't the performance and there wasn't the production to make it compelling, right? That's one of the things that made that work. But uh, I think WWE is in a position, if they have an open mind, if they feel the need to, to take away a couple different things from this WrestleMania. Um, one is, for my vote, give me two nights instead of one. And I say that because I was in New York last week, or last year, for WrestleMania. Now, I didn't go to WrestleMania. Um, I was involved with a lot of adjacent events that were there, <clears throat> signings and things like that. Um, 
but when I got back to the hotel that evening, because I actually finished watching the pay-per-view in at the hotel bar, imagine that. Um, but the people that were scrolling in, it would look, they looked like fucking walking dead. They were just exhausted. And it was kind of the chatter that I heard around, you know, from the people that were coming in and hitting the bars. It's just too long. It's just too long. And I think two fantastic nights that take a little bit of the fatigue out of it for the live fans and also helps build anticipation for those watching at home if they utilize the, those two nights correctly, which I'm, I'm sure they would, I think it could be better than what we've been seeing. Now, they were forced into it this time, but I think it's a takeaway. There's a number of takeaways that I think that WWE can capitalize on to really improve business based on, you know, the challenges that they have, whether they say the best inventions are the mother of, no, mother is the... Necessity. Is it necessity is the mother of invention. Where would I be without you, Christy? Oh, I'd be over here in the kitchen with Mrs. B because she was telling me the same thing at the same time. <laughs> and, you, and you might be watching NXT or AEW. Uh, I totally, totally agree with you on that about the two nights. It is a long time to sit there as a fan. Yep. It's been a while since I've done that. But uh, we have a super chat from CJ LaChapelle. He wants to know, Eric, uh, more about your opinion on Otis. Do you think that he could be a main event singles guy down the road? You know, right now he's a comedic type of character. And it's really hard to see a comedic type of character in a main event for me, at least. And maybe, maybe in a one-off in that type of thing. But here's the thing about Otis. First of all, I think the world of Otis, I got to know him a little bit in WWE. Super guy. Um, amazingly talented and a legit badass. You wouldn't you wouldn't think that seeing him, but you know he's a Pan American Greco Roman champion, I believe. Very very um, elite level amateur wrestler and Olympic style wrestler. So uh, he's got all of the tools, obviously, that he needs. He's he's embraced this character and made it work for him, which suggests to me that he could probably embrace another character when the time is right. It's not now. It's certainly not now. I think he's only scratched the surface of what he's capable of doing over the next year and a half, two years with the character that he does have. Then it'll be time. Once the legs kind of run off that, then it'll be time to shift gears and become another character. And I think that possibility of him main eventing would probably be within that trajectory within another year and a half or two years. Yeah, uh, Brian in the chat is asking, uh, do you think if Otis maybe changed his look a little bit that he would lose his gimmick? Why would he want to do that? Well, well, Brian, the guy, the guy, I was the, the, weight, but I didn't think that was... No, that. that's what makes the character. Look, <laughs> you know, and this is going to sound like, you know, I'm trying to make a joke and I'm not, but, you know, when wrestling has been at its peak, just like Marvel movies, you know, Characters are larger than life characters. They're, they are supposed to be unique and different. And I, first of all, I love his character, as is. I, it's damn perfect. It's right out of central casting, right? If you were <laughs> casting a WWE movie, let's say WWE wasn't a real thing, but you wanted to make a movie about a fictional wrestling organization called WWE, and you had to populate it with all kinds of different really cool cool talent that would be appropriate I, I i would contact a casting agent and they would send me over a bunch of you know eight by tens and some video and he'd be one of the first guys i'd pick why would you why would anybody suggest that he change his look there may come a time when he changes his gimmick but um man not for a long time come on okay. uh because coming off the heels of wrestlemania uh, you never really got to have like a big WrestleMania moment. Is that a regret of yours at all? Just not being able to go out there in front of the 70, 80,000 people of fans and just kind of soak up that moment at a big mania? It's not a regret um, at all. I, I, I don't really regret much of anything. And it's certainly not that. Um, of all the list of, of the list of things that I have that I probably should regret and don't, um, that's not on that list. Um, but at the same time, would I have liked to do that? Of course, as a performer, who wouldn't? You know, you'd, you'd have you'd have to be dead not to want that. Um, but it, it, but I don't stay awake at night or feel bad about it that I didn't. It's just I, I don't know. I, don't, I 
I didn't even think about it until you asked me that question, actually. <laughs> Way to go, George. Oh, now I'm going to go have a cocktail. <laughs> Crying my Jack Daniels. Um, Erica, you've made, your, you've made your, your feelings known about the economics of tag team wrestling. Given that, do you think WWE's five tag team divisions is too many? You're asking the wrong guy because you already know the answer to that. Um, it just doesn't work for me. And I'm sorry. I know people. It doesn't matter if it works for me or not. Who cares what I think? Don't care what I think. Do not fill my social media with a bunch of nonsense because I don't happen to like current tag team wrestling. I just don't. That's my prerogative. It's a Yep, it still is. I don't like it. But if you do, God bless each and every one of you people. Really, I mean it. Bless you. Um, it just doesn't work for me. I, I, I don't see anything in tag team wrestling that makes me go, wow. And that's probably because I just haven't seen any tag team wrestling that has really good story underneath it. Otherwise, I'm just watching action for the sake of action, and that bores me silly. No matter how good the action is, I can only go, ooh, oh, oh, so many times. After about the second or third time that I run through the gamut, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm getting up to go get a, a, something to eat or flip a channel, take my dog for a hike. But if there's great story and they've invested in it and, and, and I can see it and it, it takes me on a journey, I'm all in. I'll, I'll watch eight-man tags. I don't care. But give me story. Don't give me volume. Sorry. No, that's, I, I was about to send you the link to uh, NXT TakeOver New Orleans. That tag team match is one of my favorites. Well, and, and, and God bless you. You were one of the multitudes that I was, you know, asking God to bless. Glad you <laughs> dig it. That's cool. Well, I uh, was we digging something okay. that you said specifically this week. You mentioned telling Hulk Hogan back in the day when it was time to maybe kind of retire a move or you kind of outrightly said, I used to tell him like, you can't do that anymore. So you should do something else. What was well, his reaction in those conversations? Uh, you know, he was receptive. He, he was receptive. And I was a little bit more elegant than I may have suggested. Um, you know, I think the conversations probably in their tone sounded a lot more like, Hulk, why would you go out there and do all those other things when all they really want to see is the punch, maybe a leg, maybe a leg drop, the big punch, and this? That's what they really wanted to see. They didn't care how he won a match. They cared, they reacted to, they bought a ticket to see this at the end. When everybody's standing, everybody's cheering, it was their comfort food wrestling moment. It brought them back to their childhood in some cases. In other cases, they were new fans that were excited about it because they had learned of the, of the legacy of it all. So, you know, why, why go out there and do a bunch of things that are physically challenging because of the injuries that exist when all they really want to see is this and maybe this? So those, that was kind of, that was more the tone of the conversation. I was going to ask a Hulk Hogan question anyways. Do you, what's with the beard on him? Was he growing that out for the Hollywood Hogan NWO Hall of Fame thing? <laughs> no, you know, I, I didn't ask him. I, I didn't see that. I didn't know he was growing a beard until Mrs. B and I were down. We went down to Florida to, to hang out with the kids for the holidays. And I went to Hulk's house, Lori and I did. And that was the first time I'd seen him with a full beard. Um, so I, it kind of surprised me. And he said, no, I'm growing this beard. Because at the time, he was still on a walker. He couldn't walk without a, a walker. He was for, you know, only a couple of weeks out of surgery by that point. So he was having a hard time getting around. And he said, I'm going to keep growing this beard until I'm off this walker. So it was kind of a motivational thing for him. And then I think he started digging it. So I don't know. I don't know how long he's going to keep it. It's weird because he looks younger with the beard in some weird way. You know, I'm going to tell you something, though. One of the first things that I said to Lori when we left Hulk's house, Hulk and Jennifer, Hulk's wife, 
We left the house. We got out in the truck. Keep in mind, this is maybe three weeks after a 17-hour back surgery where they took enough metal out of him to reconstruct the front end of a fucking Kia, right? I saw it stacked on a table. It's kind of a morbid thing. But the surgeon gave him all the pins and braces and all the wiring and cable and crap that they took out of his back. And they cleaned it all, obviously, and it was sitting on a table. Um, but three weeks after that surgery, when he still couldn't walk, I, first thing I said to Mrs. B was, he looks 15 years younger than he did last time I saw him. And he looks 15 years younger, not necessarily because of the beard. That, that may be part of it. But I think because it's the first time he's been out of pain, like serious pain, like fistful of Vicodin, half a bottle of scotch pain. It's the first time he's been out of pain in probably 20 years. Oh, well, maybe do you see him as a guy who could get back, not in the ring, essentially, but outside the ring in one of these boneyard type matches? Do you think we could see Hulk doing something like that? You know, I talked to him the other day and I'm going to be careful. I don't share too much information, but I can answer your question without getting too specific. Um, physically, I think he's feeling better than he ever has in terms of his desire to get back and, and get involved. I'm, I'm not sure where he's at there. But physically, what he told me just yesterday, yesterday morning, um, was he's he's still not 100% where he needs to be yet because he's still in rehab. You know, they told him when he when they had the surgery, it was going to take him six months to get off the walker. He was off the walker in five weeks. So, and he pushes himself sometimes too hard because um, he still thinks he's 35 years old and can recover overnight like all of us do. But... Um, I think if that's something that he wants to do, he'll be able to do it based on what I'm hearing now. Um, last week, the episode was about Sting, and I actually had a weird question about a weird thing that's reported. It's been reported that Sting the musician pays Sting the wrestler a dollar a year for the use of the Sting name. Is this a rumor, and have you ever run into that problem with Sting's name on television? <laughs> I've never heard that until just now, and we've never run into any problem. Then a quick follow-up. Uh, it's also more widely known that uh, Hulk Hogan's, the Hulk and Hulk Hogan's name is a deal the WWF had with Marvel Comics. Did that deal carry over? Or was that part of the reason he became Hollywood Hogan? No. Um, I mean, he first came over as Hulk Hogan. So he didn't become Hollywood Hogan until quite a while after he first got there in 94. Um, no, that deal, uh, it was with the WWF and then Hulk negotiated with Marvel for the rights to that name. And now Hulk Hogan owns that name and it follows him wherever he chooses to go. Dope. Wow. Smart business. Very. <laughs> uh, well, one, two, three, four, Dragon Sky in the chat is asking, Eric, what would be your opinion if WWE actually decides to revive the NWO again because of how popular uh, the segment was and because, you know, NWO going back in the Hall of Fame? What would you think if you all of a sudden turned on Raw and there was an NWO revival? You know, that's interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, it, you know, it, it depends. How do they cast it? Who, who is it? What's the story behind it? What's the story? Interesting how we keep going back to that. What's the story behind it? Are they going to take, you know, three, four guys that they can't figure out what else to do with, throw them in a clique, you know, throw them in a group, throw them in a faction, whatever you want to call it, give them a new cool name and expect that they're going to be the NWO? If they do, like so many other iterations of the NWL that just have never clicked, some of them still trying to today, uh, trying to emulate that formula. And by the way, NWL didn't create a formula there. Four Horsemen were around a long time before NWL. But there was a certain feel, vibe, and presentation to the NWO <clears throat> that has made it different than anything that happened before it and anything that's happened since. So if they were able to kind of look at the the psychological reasons why the NWO worked, the story behind it, the attitude, the character behind it, and and try to resurrect it that way. I could be really interested in, in watching that. But you can't just throw a shirt on somebody and give them a you know a cool name and a hand gesture and some cool music and expect it to be you know a reincarnation of something that's only come around once in our lifetimes. Also, that they didn't keep up. Like in New Japan, it makes sense because New Japan in some way has kept the idea of the NWO in Japan up this whole time. So it's a legacy. 
Well, yeah, and they're still making a lot of money with it over there. I don't know if it was if it was on this show or if it was on a podcast, but I heard recently, very recently, uh, from Muda that the NWO. This is coming from him. Now, this is not coming from me. This is coming from him to me um, through Sonny. Was that the NWO angle and storyline was the most financially successful angle in the history to date of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And they're still making money with it over there. This Chono is. I don't know if anybody else <laughs> Chono is. Wow. Uh, just kind of piggybacking on what uh, the Sting episode from last week. Uh, you guys talked about the entire 1997 about Sting and not a single mention of my, my serious, my favorite uh, segment of the year was that Clash of the Champions with the Sting and the Raptors with a kid voiceover. Is that something that you guys maybe didn't talk about because it's not looked upon in a positive way? Because I loved it. I loved it. We've never heard Sting talk for that whole year, but then you had this kid kind of speaking for him. And obviously you think about just overall, just everything like kid voiceovers are just amazing. Like, is that segment not thought of too fondly because of the apparent note that was supposed to be sent over to the ring? No, I don't think it was that. Um, I just, you know, it was one beat. You know, it wasn't something, it wasn't repetitive. There wasn't a big focus on it. It wasn't a part of a, you know, a big main event moment. Um, it was just a storytelling device, uh, in, in a long list of cool storytelling devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, you know, the botch at the end with the, you know, drunk vulture probably, you know, mitigated a little, a little of enthusiasm over the segment as a whole. But I look at that segment, I don't, Look, it didn't go down exactly the way we wanted to go down, but for Christ's sake, I'm, I got a bird for a prop. You know, come on, it's live TV. Um, that's what makes live TV so much fun. Sometimes you just, you know, you drop a box of eggs and get a mess, and yeah, you got to move on. You know, um, nothing you can do about it. But no, I love the segment as well. I just, yeah, I don't think it comes up because I don't think it stands out to a lot of people. I mean, I, I think I'm in the minority then because if you just look at the words of the voiceover, it's so poetic and I'm mean, kind of, kind of compare it to even now with like a Bray Wyatt, that line of the Firefly Funhouse where he said, you know, I'm the color red in a world of black and white. And then we see fast forward to Cena wearing black and white with the Bray Wyatt, like red, like, I just think that that segment was so ahead of its time as far as the actual words that were spoken by that little kid. Like, do you know who that little kid was, by the way? No, I don't. I don't. Was, was it sure. King's son? The chat roll thinks there was a rumor back in the day that it was Sting's son, but you would remember that, Eric. No, I wouldn't remember it. Why would you think I would remember that? <laughs> Come on. You guys, you guys have been talking to me long enough now. You, you've got to have a handle on my memory by now. Um, I, I don't know. Who, I, I Honestly, I don't. It could be. could have been Sting's son. I doubt it. I think uh, based on the quality of it, it was probably somebody that we hired, you know, an actor, a voiceover actor. Um, Ron's, oh, you got it. Uh, Ron's Yumvi in the chat says, Eric, can you please produce a fictionalized drama based around the wrestling business? It would be incredibly entertaining given the nature of the business. And Eric is perfectly poised, poised and positioned to pitch it. Yes. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that in a couple months. So I actually would like to say <laughs> someone who's in more in the TV business than I am, is it easier or harder to pitch and sell a TV show in these months? Oh, that's why I'm not doing it. I mean, I am working on, I'm, it's, you know, I am, I'm working on two different projects right now for television. Um, one in, in just in the very beginning stages of it, uh, and the other even more nascent than that. Um, but I'm not excited about the television business anymore. It's just ridiculous. Um, to, to, in order to pitch a show successfully, if you're going to be serious about it, I mean, you can go in with a, you know, a paper pitch and a nice PowerPoint You may or may not be able to get a meeting depending on who you are. If you've got a pretty good track record and you're very credentialed, you've got a good agent, you might be able to get a meeting, but nobody's going to take you too seriously until you walk in with a paper pitch, you know, six or eight episodes laid out on paper from beginning to end. You know, segment by segment, showing the art, the characters, the whole nine yards. And then you're going to have to produce what they call an arable pilot. Sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes 20, sometimes 30. That's where it starts getting really expensive. In today's environment, I, 
I'm not doing it. I haven't done it now in a couple of years, but based on what I'm pretty sure I know, um, it's going to cost you thirty dollars or $40,000 just to go in and pitch something that has about a one in 50 chance of sticking. So the volume of things that you have to pitch in order to get one hit is it, it, it makes it so difficult, which is why I think, you know, unfortunately small independent producers are going by the wayside because the only people that can afford to churn that kind of turnover, you know, cash flow um, are the big studios. You know, small independent producers don't have $100,000, $150,000 laying around that they can throw at development, hoping in, in an environment where the odds are about one in 50 that you're going to actually, you know, even get a pilot out of it. So not interested at all, really, in television, unless it's something really, really special that I feel like I can have a significant impact on. Also, at that price. At that price, you'll do better to just release it. Make what you want and release it on YouTube. You'll ah, Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's give, me, give me give me fifty grand and send me to Vegas for an afternoon, and you know I have probably the odds of becoming home with money are better. <laughs> I, I love that. That sounds like a reality show uh, in itself. But let's give everybody the chat roll and uh, Steve and George a chance to play independent producer right now. Oh, here we go. Yeah, we're going to have them pitch you a couple of these boneyard-type matches, Eric. I know you hate hypotheticals, but as we've all acknowledged in the last few days, this is not hypothetical anymore. That boneyard match went over better than maybe anything at WrestleMania before. So the chat roll, you guys all have to be in on this. Let us know what your ideas are, and we will pitch them to Eric. Eric, all you got to do is tell us, as the president, the executive director, would you put this match on a WrestleMania card? Okay. All right, and uh, Steve, this was your idea, so you're up first. All right, I've gone around, but the one I'm landing on is if you want to get pure cinematic, pure editing, pure, pure mu movie magic, I can think of nothing better than all three faces of Foley, Dude Love, Cactus Jack, and Mankind in a three-way dance with each other. And you produce it beginning to end. It'll be about 15 minutes. It'll start in a ring, but it'll wind up in a boiler room. It'll wind up in a bingo hall. It'll wind up everywhere that that story tells. And I think Mick Foley himself winds up winning. So what's the story? What's the premise? Why are we watching it? The story and the premise is that Mick Foley, who can't get into the ring and wrestle traditionally, is fighting within himself and within his soul to still try to find a way to entertain us. So we get a lot of flashbacks to the onstage work he's doing, the volunteer work he's doing. It's it's kind of a 15-minute short film about Mick Foley, but presented as those three characters fighting each other. So what, what's the struggle between the three characters? I get that they're three different characters. I get that. And I get that Mick is trying to have a great match, one more really great match, one more WrestleMania moment. But what's the conflict between the three? The conflict is that Cactus Jack would be the more showy, the more ECW style, and that really... The conflict would be that the other two guys hate Cactus Jack because that's what he did to them to a certain extent. Dude Love is too on the more Shawn Michaels side, too ego. And those two guys hate him for that. And then Mankind was the two mainstream. It was the tube stock. It was everything. And those two guys hate him. Yeah, why don't you take that back to your office and flesh it out a little bit more? Give me a stronger act three and we'll talk about it again. It's not bad, but it needs work. I like that feedback. I'm nervous now. I, I'm a little nervous. At WrestleMania 30, we saw the Undertaker's streak get broken by Brock Lesnar, the and we saw the same year Bray Wyatt lose to John Cena. Uh, we kind of saw a little bit of that uh, this past weekend. Um, the following year, we saw the Undertaker come back after a year to face Bray Wyatt, and he beat Bray Wyatt when maybe a lot of people thought that they shouldn't or uh, Bray Wyatt should have gone over. So I'm just going to combine the two. I want to see a boneyard funhouse match where you have Bray Wyatt kind of come back and say, hey, you know, after after John Cena beat me WrestleMania 30, now I'm coming back to kind of get my revenge on everybody that wronged me in the past, first with John Cena, now with The Undertaker, hence combining the two, seeing a Boneyard Funhouse match and seeing kind of all the incarnation of The Undertaker to see if, to see if Bray Wyatt can become the darkness that Undertaker was for the last 30 years. Deep. Damn, George, where were you when I needed you? <laughs> I was 12. So. I wouldn't have cared. I wouldn't have had to pay you. I could have just, I could have just fed you cookies. 
Um, <laughs> that that's actually pretty good because it, in a way it could be if one wanted it to be a sequel to the Cena Bray match. Well, and again, I'm not going to go into it too deep, but what the premise I think, at least the one that I took away from Cena and and Wyatt and, and Fiend was Fiend getting into Cena's head and making him doubt himself. John did such a great job as as as, as Bray was laying it all out there, and then finally when Bray said, "Here's the mic, the ring's all yours." We saw John looking inside of himself and it was like, God, everything he said was true. And he realized that there was truth in what Bray was saying. And it it took him off his game, which gave Fiend the edge, right? So I think your idea, George, could easily be a sequel to that because the story is essentially the same. Bray's going back to Avengers losses. Bray, the, the Fiend couldn't necessarily, Bray Wyatt couldn't necessarily beat people physically necessarily. He, he, couldn't, have, he couldn't beat Cena and he couldn't beat Taker, but he can beat them mentally by getting into their heads and playing head games with them. That's what the Fiend does. So I could see that be, I, 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 you know, we need to get to work on that. I need more pages on that. Can you can you t- can you talk to some of your friends in, the, in there? You know, kind of you know. Uh, I, I don't have friends really okay. here. I, I I have one, and I wouldn't do that to him. <laughs> well, the chat roll doesn't have any of their own ideas. They just want to hear whatever Eric uh, would put on TV in this kind of a situation. But I'm guessing you're going to keep that close to the vest too. No, it's just that I don't. You know, I don't have anything you know to throw out there right now. You know, I, I again I. I was thinking about both the Boneyard match and um, the the um, Cena Fiend match, the Funhouse match. Um, I think it, it would be hard to follow. Up. It could be done, you know, because AJ wasn't dead, right? If they would have dumped, if they would have dumped all the dirt on him, and his hand would have been come up, you know, through the dirt, he would have been dead. It would have been hard to get him back and 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 have any kind of a confrontation with the Undertaker to continue that story. But they gave us a little bit of hope with a hand coming out of the dirt. So presumably, AJ's still alive. At least he was alive enough to start digging his way out of the grave. Um, that that could continue. Um, in, in term, you know, I think the Sting, the Sting story with Undertaker. You know, I I didn't really start thinking about it, but it was all over my social media. And the more I thought about it, because I kept seeing it over and over and over again, all. People really, you know, were excited about that possibility. The more I thought about that, the more that could work for Undertaker. I think an AJ follow-up could also work for both AJ and Undertaker. Um, I don't know what was the question again. Fuck, I distract myself so much. No, but like if you had, if you had open source that now that we're doing more cinematic style matches, did did anything jump out at you that wasn't AJ or Undertaker or Bray? Because I brought up Mick Foley because he specifically tweeted that he would absolutely come back for a cinematic match. Of course he would. Who wouldn't? Well, come on, Mick. Everybody, so would I. <laughs> Everybody would. Who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? Okay, then you versus Vince McMahon boardroom match. Yeah, yeah there's only so much you can do with cinematography. <laughs> well, I, well, I got a quick question, though. If, if he were to come back, would you see Hulk Hogan be more apt for a Boneyard match or a Funhouse match? Ooh. I think I think Hawkser's more of a funhouse kind of guy. He's a little out there. He likes out there stuff. Just go back and look at Dungeon of Doom. You have any doubts? <laughs> go back and look at some of that stuff. Have you talked to Hulk about Mania? Did he watch? I mean, I'm sure he watched. Uh briefly. Briefly. We may we may be doing something together about it. I'm not really sure yet. We're gonna talk to you again later on this week, but yeah, he watched. He, he, he did watch it. Cool. We, we talked about it, but I don't want to get into it here because I may want to save that for another show. Okay, well, we look forward to that. Is there anything else, Eric, that you got going on or any message you want to give to the people? Anything you want to tell them to check out? Stay healthy. Keep away from sick people. Take care of your dogs, your kids. Enjoy your time at home with your family. Learn to love it. Something new comes out of it every day. You know, I mean, 
I just don't think it should be as bad as people make it out to be. It is horrible. It is horrible, you know, especially for people in New York and Chicago and Detroit and New Orleans now. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding myself. I know how bad it is. But for a lot of people, it's also an opportunity to spend more time with family, which I think we could all use. Um, spend more time focusing on your own health because a lot of, at least what I'm hearing, and again, I hear things in a sense, the way I want to hear them. We all do. It's human nature. I'm a big believer in health as a result of Mrs. B over the last 30 years and 35 years. I've learned so much more through her. And I think there's a reason that certain people are affected and certain people aren't, you know, aside from the obvious underlying conditions, it's your immune system and your immune system is something that's within your control. You can feed your immune system. You can maintain it. You can take care of it. But you have to know how. And you have to do the research. And you have to have the discipline and the desire to do it. But um, focus on that and because it'll serve you well. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when people go, hey, do you remember that coronavirus thing? And it'll be a distant memory. Um, but one of the things that we can learn from it is how to take better care of ourselves and each other. So focus on that. That. Well, that is a great inspirational message for us to uh, uh, sign off with tonight. George, tell everybody where to hit you up at. You can follow me at G Hermosa, G H E R M O Z A, on Twitter and Instagram. Love that, Steve. And you guys find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Coffin, that is K U F M A N N. I am heavily involved in the wrestling YouTube space. So if I'm tweeting link, chances are I'm involved. That's cool. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, next week, we will be talking about TNA from 2010. So we're looking forward to that. And you guys can catch After 83 Weeks live on the 83 Weeks channel at 8 p.m. Pacific time. So tune in, enjoy the live chat, ask Eric a question. Thank you guys all so much. And we will see you next week. Take care. Be well. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.